0: Welcome to the Sages Among Us. Our community is richly blessed with people who devote countless hours and immense energy to making their community work better. The Center for Nonprofit Leadership of the Sierra sponsored groundbreaking research into who these people are, why they generously provide so much positive leadership to the community, and how their efforts make a positive difference for us all. This research project culminated in publishing a book in 2012 called The Sages Among Us Harnessing the Power of Civic Engagement. This show is based on that research, and today we're going to hear the personal story of one such person who is deeply engaged in making our community a better place. I'm Joyce Miller, and I'm honored to have as my guest today Amigo Bob Contesano, president of Organic Ag Advisors and one of the most influential figures in California organic farming. Amigo, welcome to The Sages Among Us.
1: Thanks, Joyce. A pleasure to be here.
0: I'm going to give our listeners a little bit of a taste of your bio, and then we can get into the questioning, since we have you on the other side of the mic. Sounds good. Thank you. Amigo Bob Contesano has more than 40 years of experience growing organic crops, including vegetables, fruit, grapes, herbs, and flowers. He's the president of Organic Ag Advisors, founded in 1988, and the managing partner of Heaven and Earth Farm on the San Juan Ridge. As a consultant, Amigo advises more than 250 organic and transitional farmers and hundreds of family farmers and gardeners worldwide. His clients range from small specialty growers to producers of thousands of acres of mainstream crops. He has been a witness and a pivotal figure at most of the important turning points in California organic farming. He's a co-author of the California Organic Foods Act of 1979, the nation's first organic farming law, and co-founder of the annual Ecological Farming Conference, the largest sustainable agriculture gathering in the western United States. In addition, he's a founding member of California Certified Organic Farmers and founder of Peaceful Valley Farm Supply, We the People, Natural Foods Cooperative, Aeolia Organics, Star Farms, and the Felix Gillet Institute. Somehow he squeezes in the time to write articles, give speeches, and host a monthly radio show on KVMR. Amigo lives and farms on 11 acres on the San Juan Ridge, where he's teaching young people and his grandchildren how to farm and live with nature.
1: That made me tired.
0: I know. Exactly. So... Speaking of that, I've been hearing the term um, agrarian elder applied to you lately. What what does that mean to you? Is that a comfortable label to have? Well, it
1: wasn't at first, but it's become <laughs> one. Uh, it actually came out from an event that some friends of mine, Michael Abelman and Elliot Coleman, invited me to, to a group of 25 of us met for a week at uh, Esalen Institute. I think that was three winters ago. And uh, they invited a the New York Times reporter there, and she t- she dubbed us the Agrarian Elders. And at f- when the article appeared, I was like, hmm, God, I don't feel like an elder. But, <laughs> but honestly, coming out the other side, I was like, all right, that's an honor. And so yeah, now that's been attached to a bunch of us, which I guess is wonderful. That's mm-hmm. so what happens when you're at it a long time and you've gotten older than others. They start calling you an elder. Apparently well. so.
0: So let's learn something about your um, early inspiration. How did you become interested in farming? Did you grow up on a farm, or was there something or someone in your family that inspired this uh, passion?
1: I'm a city kid, but uh, I had a, some interesting opportunities. Um, my family are the founders of San Francisco and a couple of other important places in California. And my grandmother, uh, Dorothy Moraga, um, Spanish uh, heritage, uh, was a gardener. And you know, at my first real comprehension of gardening, and and her, in many ways, was out crawling on my knees in the garden with her, and we were picking these prickly little fuzzy things underneath <laughs> these fuzzy leaves, which turned out to be little pickling cucumbers. I really can really remember that. I don't know how old I was, maybe three or four. And uh, then we met, went in and made pickles, and she taught me a lot about just the basics of homesteading and gardening without ever talking about it being organic gardening. It was just, you know, she grew fava beans and uh, made a compost pile and had chickens and grew her crops and rotation and pick the bugs and did the weeds you know just basically what people do and uh so that you know it stuck with me i wanted to be your helper and hang out in garden and, and and make food which was really fun and so that bounced along until the 60s and in the 60s i ended up living in a series of communal environments um where we didn't have any money and uh you know, gardening became essential, you know, and it turned out most people had never gardened. Most people were urban and suburban refugees, and there were a few of us that had gardened before, so we'd get a group of people and teach them how to the basics of making a bed and getting stuff dug up, and lo and behold, you know, go down and get some horse or chicken manure or something and mix it in there and plant a cover crop, and next thing you know, we're gardening. And uh, that Got me into gardening even further, and then uh, I went to uh, San Francisco State on the first Earth Day, and that maybe was the seminal day. And I'll have to go back some day and look. As a gentleman who I do not know his name got up and talked about this. You know the pesticide issues, you know, and he he mentioned this book by Rachel Carson, you know, which was uh, at that time I hadn't heard of her, and I really didn't understand the whole thing with pesticides. And my my great aunt and uncle were farming in uh, in Lodi when I was growing up, but I don't think we ever talked about sprays. You know, I know they sprayed stuff, but you know they were old school also. So you know, I got these different influences, you know, and Silent Spring. That when I went and got that book out of the library, that was like, oh. Oh now I'm starting to put the pieces together and importance of growing our own food but also working on cleaning up agriculture since at that time and still is, is pretty polluted.
0: So that would have been around 1970. 1970
1: or like yeah, that. was the first Earth Day. And I'm going to have to go back so I can give that gentleman credit because mm-hmm. he definitely got me motivated. And I've told this story before, but now I'm going to have to go look and see who was on the program.
0: So that was kind of a watershed event for you. Yeah, and it was. Just hearing that one speaker. Yeah, the whole event, you know, just as a whole understanding
1: more about Earth and environment. I'd grown up, you know, nature was where I was most comfortable. And. But actually putting the two and two together about the human interaction with nature and our responsibility in it and, you know, the the fact that nature is threatened by us, um, which really, really came to my head on that day. Mm -hmm. It's pretty important.
0: So how did you learn to be a farmer? You've taught you know, a lot of other I, people. I jumped
1: uh, in and started doing it, you know. Uh, gardening led to, you know, bigger, bigger gardens. <laughs> and we had a half-acre garden. I was living in Truckee with a group in a commune, and we took an old horse barn or horse uh, stables and dug them up, and soon we had a half-acre. I was also out at uh, Sierra Hot Springs. We had about that much out there, and we were using uh, the warm water and plastic-covered uh, uh, beds to grow stuff all winter. And, and then my good friends, the Rouse brothers, uh helped start the We the People co-op back there in the early 70s in the North Shore. And they were members of the co-op, and they were one of the brothers of my roommate. And they decided they'd grown up farming in Yuba City. And instead of farming, they wanted to go back and be beekeepers. And that just fascinated the heck out of me. I didn't really know anything about bees, honeybees and so I went to help them one weekend, and and it turned out we made boxes and got stuff ready for the season, and then we went out and worked with the bees, and I was hooked, and I thought, well, this would be really fun. Maybe I can do this. I was managing the food co-op. I naively thought I could do both, and I come down and work work the bees, and and eventually uh, their grandpa said, hey, you know, we got six acres of land here that I'm not using. I planted young walnut trees on, and Grandpa Rouse said, you know, if you guys want to grow something for the co-op, you could do that. And the Rouse brothers had grown food before, mostly orchards. And I had done gardens. Next thing I know, we were out there cultivating up six acres and also trying to take care of this gigantic, which turned out to be almost 600 beehives, project. And you know, you just—I learned by swimming, literally. They <laughs> threw me in the water, and I made a lot of mistakes. Unfortunately, uh, had some mentors. I had a Hispanic gentleman that worked across the street. who came over and taught us some of the basics of growing stuff, and a and a man from Arkansas taught us some more. And then these brothers from Texas, you know, and bit by bit, you start gleaning things. And I learned right then and there that organic farming wasn't all that different than conventional farming, except we just chose not to use the chemicals. But as far as the practical aspects of it, it was virtually identical. So, you know, when Mr. Rouse came over, he'd farmed before the era of chemicals. He was in his 80s when I met him in the 70s. And he was like, yeah, well, you could do that without chemicals like I used to, or it would be a lot easier to do it with. And so then he'd just tell me how they used to do it without chemicals. And I was like, oh, gosh, Grandpa, we could do that.
0: They weren't calling it, were they calling it organic no, farming then? No, like, there
1: was what? Organic Gardening and Farming Magazine came out in the 40s, but hadn't really caught on much in California. I was an early subscriber to it there around 1970. But no, there wasn't any market or interest in organics till about the mid-70s. And then uh and that was all pretty much uh well, I helped start CCOF, that was in seventy three. That was just a handshake relationship with your neighbor, you know, we kind of self certified our each other. And then there was a con- there was some fraud, organic started to get a little bit popular with the hippies, especially in the late seventies, and there was some fraud where people were selling stuff. So we said, Oh, maybe we should write some rules, you know, that are a little bit mm-hmm. more stiff and so we went to the C D F A, Department of Food and Agriculture, and uh, the uh, leg- legislature, and we wrote the first law. I, I had no idea what we were getting ourselves into at that point. It was an <laughs> eight-page law. It was really simple. But mm-hmm. it was designed to kind of protect the organic farmers, and that organic started to take off. That's the rest of this history, as I say.
0: You're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. I'm Joyce Miller. I'm talking today with Amigo Bob Contesano. So you have been a pivotal figure in the development of organic agriculture and the movement here in California. And in a 30-minute interview, it's going to be really hard to even scratch the surface sure. of all the stuff you have done. Uh, but I did want to note that for people who are interested in a really deep dive into that history, there's a really interesting um, oral history on the website of the UC Santa Cruz Library. Mm -hmm. I was Um, honored
1: to be interviewed for
0: that. It's a 166-page interview, Um, and I really recommend it to people who are interested in the history of um, organic farming. So with your long view over all those decades and your grasp of history, what's the biggest challenge that you think faces organic farming? today
1: Oh, that's a really good <laughs> question. I ponder that a lot well one is it's it's a victim of its own success, mm-hmm. um, which has made it difficult for it to be accessible by common people the, the value mm-hmm. of it is the, the demand for it and keep keeps the price to a point where i mean I got into this I came with the co-op movement and our motto was food for people not for profit and now pretty much everything running agriculture is about profit Mm -hmm. Uh, and most of us that started this didn't weren't motivated by profit but all the larger and and corporate businesses that are in it now that's clearly their motivator so that's a challenge i'd still like to see uh, organic food get closer in price you know that everybody can afford it i got four grown children with children and they're all struggling trying to eat organic despite the fact that they grew up with it. Um, mm-hmm. So I can appreciate it on a day to day. I think that's one issue. I think also, you know, we, despite all the fame and, and celebration about organic, it's still just a speck on the On the horse's butt. You know, it's about 1% of agriculture in the United States is farmed organically. It means we we think we live in a bubble here in Nevada County. We think everything's organic, but that's not the case. And I do as a farm advisor. That's what I learn a lot is most of where, where I work is conventional farming and people who want to become organic. And they need to. We need to get that other 99% farming better uh, for inv- lots of reasons, not the least of which is their own health, the farmers, but also the food we eat. So I think we have a long ways to go in that regards. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've gone a long ways with little or no support from the government, but most of this has been done by private initiative, which I think I'm proud of that. I don't think we have to rely that much on government to make okay. something happen. If it's a real deal, gov- people will support it. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we live in an area where there's a really Strong support, but you don't have to drive very far away and you see that support change pretty radically. I'm going to Winnemucca, Nevada tomorrow to work on a farm, you know, and I know that there isn't a whole lot of choices out there in Winnemucca, and I'm I'm happy to hear that farmer wants to go organic, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to help him, but or their whole farm, but uh, you know, you realize, well, yeah, Winnemucca, that's probably not an organic hot spot, you know, it's so, you know, when that becomes an organic hot spot, then I feel like we'd actually really made some change. Mm -hmm. So I think there's. A long ways to go. And we also have another big issue, the Sagarian elders uh, addressed it, is we're having the problem with succession now where people are getting to retirement age with little or no ability for other young people to take over their farms. There's not the interest or the financial ability for them to do that. Uh, and I'm fast-faced on my own farm. I basically leased out my farm for next to nothing to a young couple to get them the opportunity to get on their feet and create a farm life. And that's how I got started. Grandpa Ross gave us the farm, you know, right. he said, here, you guys have it. So but it's really difficult now to transfer that over in the median age in agriculture, 68 years old. So, you know, that's I'm sorry, 58 years old uh, Mm -hmm. and 58, and that's creeping up. And so it's like, you know, who's going to grow our food for the next generation? So that's a big challenge. We're all talking about that and coming up with creative ways to do that. And I think if we can transfer that land into the hands of the young people and get them farming, then that would be a great success. But that's definitely a challenge for the future as well.
0: I think that's a misconception that we have in our bubble here in Nevada County because I think people think there are a lot of, a lot of organic farms, and a lot of them are run by
1: younger people. Yeah, and uh, locally be, that's true, yeah. a, but it, you don't have to go far to see that change. <laughs> sure. And proportionally, that's just a very, very small amount of the food that we eat in our mm-hmm. county. Sure. You know, most, of, Depending on whose estimates, 98% more or less of the food we eat here comes from out of county. So, you know, that means there's a lot more opportunity for people to grow food locally as well. It's really encouraging to see the young people involved. I think that's fantastic, but we need a lot more of them to make this a sustainable agriculture. Mm-hmm.
0: And so are you working on that challenge? What are you, what are you doing to yeah. make that happen? well, I did
1: that on my own place, figured out uh-huh. a way to get a couple a young couple involved. They're in the end of their second season. They're doing great. I think they're going to fly. Uh, our organization, the Ecological Farming Association, sponsors workshops and conferences on the subject where we bring in experts to help. It's, it turns out a lot of times farmers haven't even figured out how to grapple with the issue, much less alone resolve it. Mm-hmm. So we bring in banking experts. Experts And transition experts, succession experts, business people to help them understand the opportunity. And then I'm involved with a group, uh, California Farm Link, which is exactly what they do. They link up potential young farmers with owners Mm -hmm. of property in the hopes of creating a bond that becomes long term. Sometimes it's just a lease. Sometimes it becomes an actual transaction. So, yeah, I'm committed to it. I think it's a really important and necessary thing to do.
0: So how did you personally evolve from being a farmer to a businessman to a consultant? Was that kind of a natural progression for you? you know,
1: people have asked me that before. I never planned any of my life. I just – it appeared. So to tell you the truth, Peaceful Valley started because I, we had started a farm here in, in Nevada County, uh, I learned how to read soil analysis, and the nutrient levels were very low on the farm, which is really common in the f- CRs in general. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to address those nutrients, and the main one that was right in my face was phosphorus, which is very deficient here. And I couldn't find any phosphorus that wasn't chemically or mm-hmm. uh, manufactured. Um, and I didn't want to use bone meal. I just had an aversion to that. It didn't sound right about using up ground grind up old dead cows and stuff. So <laughs> I passed on that. And I found out that you could buy rock phosphate, which is mined out of the ground out of Florida. But I couldn't buy a 50-pound bag. I had to buy 1,600 bags to get the first one or a 40-ton rail car. So I said, all right, well, I'll just do that. And I found a few neighbors that wanted a few pounds or tons. And so then... I brought the rest of it in and hauled it off by hand, bag by bag, off of the rail card in Colfax and brought it over in a truck and stored it in a barn. And boom, next thing I know, I'd started a farm supply. <laughs> had zero experience in that at all, but I'd done a store for the food co op, so I know a little bit about retailing. And so I, that started that. And then that just grew from there. That was a local, you know, half day a week business Saturday mornings and uh, then people started showing up on other days and going hey you need to be open more and we want more things so I started putting more things obviously rock phosphate wasn't going to satiate everybody so we started putting more and more things in there and then it just grew from there and then that coincided uh uh, to the 80s. Or I started that business in 76. And uh, in the 80s, it, you know, organic started to get popular, or at least seemingly so. And people were starting to call up and show up from all over the place, it, which was really interesting. And it turned out there weren't any other organic farm supplies. I didn't know that, but there just didn't turn out hmm. to be anybody around. So by default, I was like one of the go-to places. And then people were coming up asking questions of all kinds of sorts that I had and didn't have any experience in. So I realized that actually was really it'd be really useful for me if I got to go out and spend more time on farms and see what people were up against because you can't give anybody a very good bit of advice in five minutes while you're rushing around loading their truck you know so <laughs> I was like well I need to go out and visit people so then I started taking a part of my work week and going out and seeing folks and then that evolved into being a farming advisor mm-hmm. and it was just like people are like yeah and I didn't know I was the first organic farm advisor I just thought it was an interesting thing I liked meeting people and every now and then I was helpful and I learned a lot and then that just careened into a career uh 1989 we held those a r sunday which was a big deal uh pesticide scare that happened on uh, apples, apples apple juice and it was a big deal and all of a sudden the phone rang off the hook people wanted to become organic farmers because they saw demand and there was a bunch of publicity about it and I'm getting calls from all over the United States, so obviously I couldn't do that. But I said, no, maybe there really is a need here for someone to do this. So I sold my business in 89 to my, a couple of my employees and said, all right, I'm going to go out and be a farm advisor. And it just happened just like that. I was like, oh, I'm a farm advisor. Okay. <laughs> Next thing I know, I was out on farms. So that, you know, and the same thing with the uh, Ecological Farming Conference. that – I had been to a conference in Kansas City. I liked it, but it was very Midwest-like, and I didn't, it wasn't California-like, and I wanted to have some level of celebration, and CCOF wasn't into that kind of thing, so I said, well, why don't we just see what happens if we invite a group of farmers together for the day and see what happens without a big agenda? So we had one speaker and a potluck lunch and 45 people, and we danced, and people loved it, and that just spun into now it's a five-day event and 2,000 people, and you know, it's been going 38 years. you know, now it's a big success. But, you know, I didn't have any clue that was going to happen. I just thought it'd be fun to hang out with some of my firing buddies. Uh, truthfully, that's a lot of this comes about. You just, what's in front of you? You go, oh, well, that seems like something I should, I could be able to do something about and, and do it. And I'd say that to anybody, you know, if you see something that needs to be done, just step into just, it. Don't be afraid. It, do it. You're, the worst that can happen is you're going to you know, burn your feet a little bit, but you'll get through it. You know, it's, it's not impossible to do this. And the other thing is I never borrowed any money to do any of these projects. I just did them all on my own money. And that way I didn't have any of that, you know, worry of, oh my God, who would I have to pay off in this deal? Mm -hmm, And so, you know, not beholden. Yeah. mm reduced the stress anyway, you know? So yeah, you can do a lot of stuff like that just by creativity.
0: You're listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR, Nevada City, and KCPC Camino. I'm Joyce Miller. My guest is Amigo Bob Cantasano In some ways, um, organic farming to me, to my mind, is like a little bit about purity or about being, you know, pure, I don't know, um, virtuous is another word, I think. But you really seem to have a gift for pragmatism that has allowed you to accomplish a lot in your career. Um how do you balance those two things. Well, that's a really exactly. good
1: point. It, mm-hmm. it is a pure way of agriculture. no doubt about it. It's one of the mm-hmm. reasons we're motivated to do it. But I also recognize that people come into this from a wide spectrum of backgrounds, you know, and there's no value in castigating somebody from where they were. I just try to say, okay, you're ready to change? Well, cool, <laughs> let's do it. And not beat somebody up because they've been taught. You see, most everybody in agriculture got taught all this by the experts. You know, they, most Farmers didn't invent uh, pesticides. They were all brought that by the System, you know, and so you know they've been brainwashed. So I just look at at them as their their fertile ground for a new idea, you know. And if you beat them up over what they did, well, they're not going to feel any better about it or more motivated. They're going to be resistant. So I just look at it and go, well, here here's your opportunity. Here's what you can do. Here are the obstacles. Here's -hmm. the financial challenges. The emotional ones, and most of it's just psychological. If you believe you can do something, you can do it. So I just give them basically a helping hand. At one point, that I. I was gonna get had a business card printed up. I never used it. It Said farm psychologist. You know, (laughs) it just because it seemed like that's my job was was holding people's hands, getting them through this stuff. And I'm sure that guy I'm gonna meet tomorrow is like that. You know, he's going, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm stepping out on the edge by myself here, and I want him to know that no, you're not by yourself. There's actually some real support. So I think that's you know can be pragmatic and you can also be altruistic and say yeah this is a better way to farms so be better for you and your family and the environment the food quality is going to improve you're going to your, your risk factor is going to go down but at the same time here's the practical things you got to do to get there and hopefully comfort them to the point where they feel like they can do that
0: okay so we have a caller caller do you have a call uh, a question for Amigo? yeah i do Should, um, go ahead he ha- he has a
1: contact between landowners and young blood that want to get into organic farming. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the name of the organization and the contact phone number? I don't have the number with me, but they have a website. It's California Farm Link, L-I-N-K. And uh, the number... Right, there. Is this local? No, they're based... Well, they do have a they do have a person that's in Placer County. They have different uh, people that work for them around the state. The organization's based in Santa Cruz. But if you look on their website, you'll get... Um, Oh, I'm just forgetting your name right now. Leah Schwartzman, who's the w- one who works here in Nevada and Placer Counties. And she she directly helps people hook up with the farmers and the uh, young enthusiasts.
0: Okay, so it's californialink.com.org?
1: Ca- Californiafarmlink.org. Okay. Thank ah, you. Thanks. like your
0: work, man.
1: Thank, Thank you, you so much.
0: So you started something called the Felix Chile Institute, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing. No, you got it
1: absolutely right. Hallelujah! (laughs) Most people get it wrong.
0: (laughs) And what in briefly, what does it do?
1: Okay, so this is again you stumble onto something in 1970 in September 1970. So what, 47 years ago, I was out on a dirt road on the San Juan Ridge, 12 miles down in the forest. Came out across top of a hill. Here was a knoll, in that top of that knoll was an orchard. Mm -hmm. Nobody around no except bears you can see the bear poo and the damage from breaking (laughs) and it turned out to be a very old orchard going back to the 1880s i didn't know that at the time and uh we started picking the fruit it was apples and pears mostly but some cherries and walnuts and stuff and it was deserted but there was this amazing orchard which turned out to be right next to what used to be a mining camp and uh that just started me on an odyssey. I started looking around more and realizing that there were a lot of old trees around our county that were remnants from the gold rush era. And I was running Peaceful Valley, and I was growing a bunch of these trees for gardens, you know, for nurseries, or, for, or nursery for gardeners. And uh, somebody came in one day and said, did you know there used to be a nursery in Nevada County, in Nevada City in the 1800s? And I went, no. And he said, well, go down the street, and that's right there. You'll be on Nursery Street. And lo and behold, that was Felix Gillet's property, and Felix was the original nurseryman in our area and one of the most uh, prolific in all of the Western United States. And he had a nursery from the mid-1860s until 1908 when he died. And then that was taken over and ran until the 1960s. So it was a 100-year-old nursery when it closed. And they supplied these plants to all these miners and gardeners and farmers and stuff. And so that's 47 years ago. And I just kept finding all these old things. I thought, this is cool. And then I said, you know, maybe I should really push myself into doing something more than just finding them. I want to preserve them, and I want people to appreciate them. When I was selling them at farmer's markets, some of the fruit and stuff, and people were going, this is a great fruit. And I was like, yeah, this is unique. It's not something you'd find at the grocery store. So in uh, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, I started Felix Jolie Institute, and that is a nonprofit that is focused on the uh, the uh, discovery, uh, uh, protection, propagation, and promotion of heirlooms from the Gold Rush era. And that's what we do.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Um so is there something that you would still like to accomplish? I know that you've been um experienced health issues in the past few years and do you um think about your legacy and think about what you would anything else that you'd like to Accomplish. You yeah, I've got, so got
1: a much. long list. That's why I can't <laughs> die bet. yet. Right. Uh, exactly. You know, So I, I'm actually committed. I'm five years into dealing with this cancer thing, and I've had a challenge the last year again, but I'm looking at a new front here next month. I'm going to go do a couple months of immunotherapy work in Portland, see how that does. But, yeah, I do have a number of other projects that I'd still like to – incubate and, and stimulate because uh, there's a lot more things that need to be happening in the way of food and, and connection to food uh and appreciation for it so absolutely i yeah i don't want to even get started we're out of time but, uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of things i'd like to still do yeah i that's what keeps me going you know honestly is my dream of succeed being successful at making change that really helps the food the feet the people and the environment
0: I guess it's um, we're running out of time we here. Wall, <laughs> we're going to have to bring you back, um, Amigo Bob, oh, for right. um, another half hour or so because, we, like I said, we barely scratched the surface there. So thank you so much for um,
1: joining me tonight. Thank you, Joyce. I really and enjoyed when- it.
0: The purpose of this program is to inspire and invite people to participate in the betterment of their community. Discover how you can make a difference by tuning in next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when Mary Ross will be your host. Thanks to our engineer for tonight, Ralph Henson. You've been listening to The Sages Among Us.